Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. I hope this season is playing out for you wherever you are listening from around Australia. In this podcast, I'm delighted to introduce two incredible um, pioneers and leaders of our industry. The first is a serial entrepreneur who I've come to know recently and, uh, yeah, just rate so highly as a, a business leader and human. And the second has more letters after his name than I knew existed. Truly a world leader in this topic for this podcast. In this podcast, I'd like to focus in on, I'm delighted to focus in on, I've been looking forward to this conversation on ag tech, on automation in agriculture and on robotics. Um, So with that in mind, firstly, I'd like to introduce Gaithan Kutri from Kutri Fruit in Swan Hill. Gaithan as I say, is an amazing entrepreneur and businessman. He took on the family fruit business 13 years ago. And over that time, that business has grown nearly tenfold, grown from one site to four sites, and now exports fruit globally um, to major food chains and markets around the world. He is, um, as I say, an incredibly natural leader and an amazing agricultural entrepreneur. He um, has a vision for his business to be the first autonomous stone fruit farm in the world. And his passion for that vision arrived him to a meeting and now a friendship with Salah Sukare. Now, Salah, who is also to join us today, is the Professor of Robotics and Intelligent Systems at the University of Sydney and is also the CEO of Agaris, which is a new ag tech startup from the ACFR Developing Autonomous Robotics Solutions to Improve Agricultural Productivity and Environmental Sustainability. He was Director Research and Innovation at the Australian Centre of Field Robotics from 2017 until 2018, where he led the Strategic Research and Industry Engagement Program in the world's largest robotics institute. He is an international expert in the research, development and commercialization of field robotic systems and has led a number of robotics and intelligent systems R&D projects in logistics, commercial aviation, aerospace, education, environmental monitoring, agriculture and mining. Salah was awarded the New South Wales Science and Engineering Award for Excellence in Engineering and Information and Communications Technologies in 2014. The 2017 CSIRO Eureka Prize for Leadership in Innovation and Science and was a 2019 New South Wales Australia Australian of the Year nominee. Salah is a fellowship of the Australian Academy of Technological Science and Engineering and has over 500 academic and industry publications in robotics and intelligent systems. So in this podcast, I'm delighted to explore where ag tech, automation and robotics have come from and what developments we've seen play out over the last 10 years, and importantly, what we have to look forward to by way of ag tech and automation across our industry and our enterprise. So it is with that all in mind, and I hope I've done their introductions justice, 
that I welcome both Gaithan and Salah to our podcast. Thank you, Thanks, Jeremy. Jeremy. Real honour. Perfect. Gaithan, if I could just start with you, I'm really keen for our listeners to get a sense of Kutri Fruit and, and your background. Would you mind sharing where is the business now, um, perhaps compared to where it was when you purchased it from your family 11 years ago? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jeremy. So, so Kutri Fruit, I'm pretty sure is the largest grower of stone fruit in the country. Um, we're based in Swan Hill. Uh, when I think of Kutri Fruit, I kind of think more of more than just a farm because we're built into a lot of different areas. So just so I can follow this process, I'll say we'll start with production. So we grow nectarines, peaches, plums and avos. Um, we have over 400,000 trees. Um, it's probably a big number, but it actually is massive to me because it's nearly eight times more than when I started this with Nicole and my parents 17, oh, 14, 15 years ago. Um, back then, we were only farming in one location, Warrenine. Um, That's not even our main location anymore. Um, we're now spread across four locations. They're probably up to 80 kilometres apart. Um, back then, we only really grew peaches and nectarines, so it's, it's actually changed a fair bit. We started growing plums, then we got excited, and now we actually grow some really unique fruits. Um, we grow some green plums, yellow plums, watermelon plums, We've got our own um, avocado that's non-oxidising. So we've, we've really changed the spread of things we grow. Um, we used to only harvest for four months. Now we harvest our stone fruit for a bit more than six months. And we're trying to utilise our equipment and machinery and people and every, every part of the business. So we've actually tried to expand our seasons. We've, we've gone into avocados. Um, so we now grow avocados, which gives us another three months. Um, when I came back, um, like nearly every other farm, and we were growing in a tr traditional model, um, the trees had limbs growing everywhere and um, every tree was different. Now our trees are really uniform. In fact, we've taken it to such an extreme now where we really have, like our plums are grown on bamboos. Uh, so in a, everything's in a 2D structure now. Not everything, all our new plantings are in a 2D structure where it just, the canopy is only probably 30 centimetres wide as opposed to a two metre wide canopy in the old system, which allows us to access everything, hopefully for robotics, but also for mechanics and just for the staff. So, and we've just gone crazy on consistency. So I love numbers, you'll, um, as you know, and I love KPIs and metrics to measure things. So our branches now are 27 and a half centimetres apart and perfectly straight. And it's really, it's a pretty cool growing system. Um, so if I think of production, we also, our packing facilities, um, I think it's really lean compared to most that I've seen around the world. Um, it's not the best by any stretch of the imagination, but it has some really cool tech in there and some really cool things. Like we have a vision system that takes 120 photographs of every piece of fruit and we're putting through 4,800 fruits a minute. Like it's insane, um, I would estimate anyway. So, and in terms of systems, yeah, we, I think when I came back, I'd say we were really just a family farm. It was me, mum, dad, Nicole, my wife. We had heaps of great people with us too, but we were doing the pruning, doing the thinning, doing the picking, doing the packing, doing the sales. It's nothing like that anymore. Now, um, most of my family members have left. I've recruited my brother-in-law from Sydney, thank goodness. Um, but we just actually have some really great people in our business, a lot of them better at doing the doing than me. Um, so it's a huge change there. We've got heaps of numbers around our business. Um, our key economic driver is profit per tree. So we've just, every way we can improve that, we've, we've built metrics around it. Um, initially really difficult, but made them simple now. Um, I feel like I'm talking too much, Jeremy, so we might just wind it up there. But we also, back when I came in, there's probably one other really important thing. We we sent our fruit to others and just uh, we didn't have direct relationships with customers outside the wholesale market. Now in Australia, we're a vendor to Coles, Woolies and Costco, um, each of them great partners. We also have great partnerships overseas. We're a direct exporter. 
Um, so our business has pivoted a lot and moved a lot over those years. Um, and we also clearly, um, we're really excited about robotics and moving towards that as well now. Thanks, Gaithan. I mean, for me, it's just such an amazing example of what can be achieved over a 10 or 15 year time frame. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable just to hear some of those um, innovations and advancements. What, what, what do you take as being the key milestone growth steps, if you like, over that 11 or 15 year period? Yeah, I, there's been a heap. Um, probably because I'm meant to be focusing on ag tech, I'll try and focus on the ag tech ones. Um, and they're just things that allowed us to scale. Um, so there wouldn't be many farms still to this day of stone fruit in Australia that are probably greater than 200 acres. Um, I think we're farming more than a thousand, and we don't have I don't have brothers and sisters and everyone involved. And like I am fortunate, I do have my brother-in-law who's fantastic, and I've got some amazing staff. But really, we've done it by using better systems. Um, so we started. So back to your question, what are the milestones? Um, probably the first one was we moved to automated irrigation. So it seems like everyone thinks they've got an automated irrigation system, but they probably have irrigation scheduling. Um, and we've just taken it a step further and that, that actually changed our business. Like we, we moved from probably 10 megs a hectare down to about four. In fact, our best year, I think we were 3.1 megalitres per hectare. So that's just, there's a, every single valve on every single farm um, has a probe, soil moisture capacitance probe, and it's just, looking at the different growth stages, phenological stages of growth, and just determining the water requirement for each stage and turning it on and off. It's, it's pretty cool. From there, we um, also semi-automated the fert, fertigation, like the chemical and fertilisers. Um, other big milestones, I mean, it's just bringing all those systems in that were really complicated, that I, that I guess I made them really complicated, making them really simple. Um, and probably we spread to a few other locations because, and that, that's changed the way I view the world, I think, a little bit because we had a flood straight after I bought the farm. And so even though I probably inherited 50 or 60,000 trees, we lost most of them in the first six months. And so it forced us to grow a nursery and we learned how to grow a nursery and we had to find another location. Um, and it's just, just opened my eyes up to the opportunities and, and also the way I thought to scale needed to have really great systems. Um, and in terms of ag tech again, sorry, getting back to the milestone, probably the implementation of like the entire factory, like the way we've made it leaner and leaner and, and brought in like the vision system. Um, and in terms of how good that is, I mean, it's led us, we used to pack like a container a day, 40 foot container a day and probably eight to 10 hours, probably had 20 plus staff. We now have 40 staff and we can pack a 40 foot container every hour and a half. So the tech makes a huge difference. Um, we also, like the R&D test block, like traveling the world and seeing that everyone's growing in the same way. And we had this, there are some pretty cool stuff, things happening around the world, but essentially everyone's growing. No, not thinking about what the world will look like in 20 years uh, when robotics are real, when even mechanization of some of the parts are, are more prevalent. So. Doing the R&D test block was probably one of the coolest things that's happened for us. We just got excited and started started like with one growing system. Then we ended up putting, there's probably 20 or 30 growing systems in a four hectare block and changing the space in between limbs, how wide the canopy is, how we prune, how we thin to make that happen. Just also that we can adopt the technology when it comes. Nathan, just amazing to hear you speak to some of those advancements. And I know there's a lot of other ones, setting up an export business. Um, there are so many um, other milestones that you and I have spoken about. Salah, you've come to know Gaithan and Kutri Fruit quite well. What's your take on their business and its sophistication from a technology standpoint? Um, I think... Fundamentally, I mean, what has it been? Eight years, Gaithan, or something like that. Maybe even ten years, something like that. So I think it's when uh, when we first had contact. Um, I mean, the business is an extension of Gaithan, if if that makes sense. It's it, you know, Gaithan to me is a, you know that personification of energy 
and passion and you see that in the business so when i've gone to the farm and and been there yeah i've seen the i've seen the tech and i've seen what he's done to the to the trees and to the farming process and the systems um but more importantly is how that that knowledge and that idea and that passion that energy has been empowered into the team around him and so wherever you go on farm and you're talking about something you can see that within the the team itself so when they're looking at a tree and they're judging you know once i was there and they were judging how many flower buds there were on a particular limb and why that particular tree had more flower buds than another tree that was right next to it and so they were down to that level it wasn't just gating it was everyone talking about that process and what did that mean about uh, pruning? What did that mean about um, what they would, thought they were going to do when it came to thinning later? What should they do? How should they? So the whole process kicked in. And and, and I think that um, that wasn't just this mental thinking, but also then what technology they were going to use and whether it was something they already had in the shed or whether it was something that they were going to buy from the local hardware and modify it and put it onto the tractor or whether it was something that they had to go out somewhere and find it. So that thinking process was continuous and all the time. And, and I think that was that was what really got me. It wasn't the fact that, you know, you they were just looking at the latest ag tech cool toy or something like that that people were talking about. It was just constant improvement and that constant improvement always came back to what technology they could use. Is it something already available, something they could modify or something they had to get? And that was that constant thinking process. Yeah, which is amazing to create a culture where our people are so engaged in the improvement process, isn't it? It is. I, I, I remember talking to a, a farmer once, and not Gaten, someone else, and, and, and that farmer was telling me that um, the, the one thing that he noticed difference as he was growing his operation was how important culture was. Um, it's something that he didn't appreciate earlier on when he was going through the business, but as the team grew and and as he as he wanted the business to grow, it was such a focus on culture. And, and the thing that he said to me was that uh, when you start to identify culture as a key element in that business growth and that business strategy, uh, what you find is when you go to an organisation, a company, a business that you feel has embedded culture within it, then generally just speaking to the leader will tell you a lot about the rest of the staff. And and that was, or, and vice versa. And I think that was that was an interesting insight from, from that. And that's what you see on Gaithen's farm. You know, the the people around Gaithen, I, I don't need to talk to Gaithen. I can go to any one of his other, I wouldn't even call them employees. I, mean, as I think Gaithen is an extension of his family, really. And you go and speak to any of them and, and, and you can kind of see the passion that Gaithen has embedded in them. Great comment, Salah. Thank you. In all of that journey and if you reflect now, Gaithan, on where you arrived to, what are you most proud of in what you've achieved at Kutri Fruit? Yeah. I think about it. I, I think I kind of view success the same way as you guys down at Farm Owners Academy. It's, you call it a freedom farm. For me, it's years of reading books and kind of finding the same path. And I, I was kind of always thought about it as a business that runs better without me than with me. Um, and so to me, the proudest achievement is the fact that it literally can run without me on a day-to-day basis now, and it, and it has at various times. Um, I just had three months out during the harvest. So it's pretty, to me, that's really exciting. Um, I still give direction on and oversee, like, new initiatives and innovation. Um, but in terms of the day-to-day functions of pruning, thinning, picking, packing, sales, I'm not... I'm not really that involved in any of them anymore. Like uh, I helped do the production budget um, with the GM of Orchards and but that's pretty much my extent of my involvement. Um, so I'm just really fortunate to have a great team. So that's the great team around me is probably one of the massive things. Um, just got amazing people. Um, and for me, I also really love numbers and metrics and consistency and so once we worked out the Alcare economic drivers profit per tree, it's it's all those systems that go around it, like we've been made, been able to build. I've always wanted live dashboards and I feel we've got that now and we've done really well through Power BI. Um, we're very fortunate to have uh, my brother-in-law who's uh, our CFO and just a complete uh, Excel whiz, which has allowed us to grow in that area too. And that to me, that's something that's... That's one of the things that I view as being really successful. And if I, I don't know, I, I also, I'm, I'm answering more than just one, but the people have entrusted us 
to, to hold some of what I think are the exclusive rice of some of the best tasting varieties in the world. Um, yeah, those things are really important. I mean, we also want to have a consumer facing brand and it's been a long, it's been part of our BHAG for a really long time. And we really, I think last year we um, released Galaxy Fruits flavor out of this world. Um, and that's where we want to put our unique fruits and it, it did really well. Like it's won a lot of awards for marketing and branding and yeah, no, it's a long answer, but there's a lot of things that I'm really excited about. So, Coming back to Salah's comment, how do you do culture and, and how do you reflect on having it that your team are as invested and engaged in the business and its improvement as you are? Uh, so on that, we've been, I think we've been really fortunate. I think we put in some, like when we put in the values, I mean, my farm owners likes to talk about values. Everyone does. I actually thought they were just crap at the start. And I, I did them because that's what I think um, the Rockefeller habits told me to do. And I just didn't believe it for a long time. But uh, we, I made the values with the team at the time, thinking about what's special about each of those people. And they're the things I want to replicate through the business. And over the years, it's actually, it's now something we live and breathe. And we actually do our uh, performance reviews everything and we against um we call it a players b players and c players we the, the metrics are well, the axis are alignment of values and um, level of skill and that's how we've really worked out who are the people we want to employ who are the people we want to promote and i guess that one of our one of our values is challenging the status quo so we just start looking for people who want to be better every day and yeah the Culture to us is everything and those values have become really important. We don't just talk about them anymore and we now live them. Gaithan, would you mind sharing the vision that you have for the business and, and perhaps what that means to you? So I guess I formed our vision 10, 15 years ago by just travelling the world, trying to find a better way to farm, continuing to learn. And what I saw as I travelled around is that Australia is already one of the leaders in ag. Um, I went to Spain, saw some amazing stuff, Italy, but I went to Israel, California, New Zealand. And what I saw is that actually in stone fruit, we are one of the best, but it still wasn't good enough for what I see coming in the future. Where like Australia's, um, yeah, we're competing against some of the cheapest fruits in the world in our time slot. So at that point, we decided, I decided that when I really stepped back, what we were trying to achieve is we wanted to be the world's first autonomous farm. Um, and it's something that I just really dream about all the time. And I think Australia is so well placed to be that country. Um, and I think Putri Fruit is so well placed to be that business. And that's what I keep just striving for. So if I, if you step back and you think about who we compete against, we're competing against Chile, South Africa, um, these countries have really low wages and we're probably the country with one of the highest wages in the world. We also just have a really small base of locals who want to do this work. Um, we're one of the least densely populated countries in the world. I mean, it's really hard to find labour and we're competing at that pointy end where it's still, it is all about price, even though we'd like to think we've got a better quality and I'm sure that we do as we travel, as I travel markets and look, it's still about price. And so, and it's about, so to get a better product, to be the first autonomous farm is kind of what we came up with because it means we get better execution, more consistent execution, and over time we can lower the price. So in order to be the world's first autonomous farm, I think we have to do a couple of things. We have to come up with some of the orchard architecture because there's not a lot out there that allows um, robotics to, to really um, be implemented into the orchards and... Yeah, so that, that's what we've worked really hard on doing. Gaithan, I'm, I'm willing to predict that it's in pursuit of that vision that, that you sought out and came to know Salah. Um, how did you come to know him? And, and perhaps for our listeners, how would you describe him? So I actually don't remember how I met Salah but exactly, but what I do remember is reading some articles that he wrote and seeing some publicity on him and and knowing that I wanted to have the world's first autonomous farm, I thought, this guy's the most advanced in robotics in our country. So I just picked up the phone and rang him. And I just wanted to know what his thoughts would be on what a future farm would look like in order to be robot ready. 
So I just picked his brains and then got to work at building it for probably another three or four years and then uh, didn't talk to him in between. And then I think I picked up the phone again and go, all right, I've nailed it, Salah. What are we doing now? Let's get these bots on the farm. Um, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was something like that over a lot of years. Um, and since then, I would say Salah is a really good friend now. Um, and how would I describe Salah? Like he's clearly super smart, but he doesn't impose that on you. Like he just, what I love about Salah, he's just really calm, um, considered all the things I'm not. And uh, actually just listens intently to every conversation and loves to learn like I do, but is obviously at a different level. Um, just a really cool story about Salah. I was actually at Berlin uh, Fruit Logistica probably I'm not sure, maybe two years ago, just before COVID. And I was listening to an ag tech, um, some guys speaking, and they're meant to be some of the best in the world. And inside their presentation, uh, they had some stuff that Salah was doing, which is pretty cool. And I'd asked a few questions. And afterwards, um, they came up to me and had a chat with me. And these guys are some of the leaders in the world of ag tech. And yeah, they decided, said, hey, I'm working with Salah on some stuff. And the praise they had for Salah was just unbelievable. So that's, I, until that point, I always obviously knew he was really good at his, for Australia, but I probably didn't really appreciate that he's one of the absolute leaders in the space in the world, particularly in open field robotics. So yeah, that's how I describe Salah. Thanks, Gaithan. Um, yeah, I feel very privileged to have you on the call, Salah, so thank you. Um, do you have anything else that you reflect on by way of automation and ag tech and its application at Kutri Farms before perhaps we expand the conversation? I think I think what, what Gaithan kind of presented exactly what happened. I just got this phone call. I was at my desk, got this phone call, and he was just like, all right, I want to automate my farm. I want, actually, I want to harvest autonomously. And I was like, I'm sorry, who are you? And he <laughs> explaining who he was and that's so and I was, and because at that time I, you know, we had little projects going on, and I, I thought I'd known the tree crop growers that were mostly interested. And then I said to them that you could spend the next ten years trying to worry about how to do harvesting and whatever it might be, but really you've got to focus on the the structure of your farm. That you know, if you can, if you can, if you can put some structure into the farm, then that makes automation a lot easier, regardless of what you want to do at the end of it all. And he said, okay, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know, probably start with your trees, and if you can make it easier on, you know, and think about just placing flowers and fruit and whatever it might be, et cetera. And he was all right, okay, good, close the phone. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know who that was, but you know, so then I did a bit of search. I thought, oh, yeah, okay, so they grow stone fruit. And then as Gaithan said, about five years later, called me, four years later, called me up and he said, okay, where are they? Um, and, uh, and and that's just what got the conversation going. And I was like, well, okay, where are the robots? Well, okay, so what, what have we done? And he goes, oh, we've done all these choices. I'm growing their fruits popping out and we're harvesting and i want these bots on the farm and, and i think it just went from there and i think it was uh it's it i think what what highlighted what gaithan highlighted is really the fundamentals of automation and what it means to agriculture which is uh we can only make this work if we get a bit more structure around the architecture of the farm because otherwise you're building platforms sensors algorithms whatever it might be for every single type of grower, different type of, say it could be the same commodity, but just a different farm, different farm structure. And that just complicates things. So if you can architect the farms in a certain way that makes automation easier to come in, then you have a much better solution. And I think what Gaithan's doing is just leading in that, in that process. Um, and, 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 and a lot of people are following now, and which is good. And I think that, that, that helps. Thanks, Salah. So just in your work and your travels over the last 10 years how do you describe um where ag tech and agricultural automation has come from and progressed to yeah not, not many people realize that australia has outside, outside of agriculture australia has led the world when it count when it comes to automation outdoors field automation so mining aviation logistics stevedoring um you can go around the country and you can see autonomous 60-ton vehicles, 400-ton vehicles, moving around, moving things and, and interacting with humans in, the, in that space. 
um, and and not only and that's not R and D that's commercialized and showing reduction in costs and improving productivity, et cetera. So agriculture being what it is in terms of the margins that farmers face compared to something like mining means that you had to wait until the technology costs started to drop in order to be able to introduce that type of technology into agriculture. And that that probably happened started to happen about 10, 15 years ago. So my first implementation was on drones in agriculture and then that moved to ground robotics. So over the last, so about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, again, in Australia, we were one of the first, probably the US was another group that was doing it, but we were one of the first in the world to start to look at throwing a ground robot onto a farm, whether that was a tree crop farm or a veggie farm or whatever it might be. Uh, but then over the last five years, as the technology cost has come down even further and it's become a little bit easier to implement, um, we're seeing a lot more of this activity happening. Um, uh, it's probably still a while to go, um, mainly because of the cost drivers, but um, we saw a lot more of this activity happening. And I think over the next five, 10 years, there'll be you, you'll start to see a lot more commercial automation processes happening beyond just let's say Broadacre, where it's a little bit easier in Broadacre because it's very flat terrain, open skies, um, not, you know, nothing around, so it makes it a little bit easier, but in other areas as well, uh, in other agriculture areas as well. Salah, what, um, what are some examples of that automation applied outside of agriculture that I guess you've been part of and that most excites you? I've, I've spoken to, I think, some shipping and some mining examples, but, but what are some examples just for our listeners to consider? If you go to Port Brisbane, Port Sydney, Port Melbourne, you'll find autonomous straddle carriers running around uh, picking up containers and, and moving it from one place to another. So these are 60-tonne platforms, 15 metres high, no drivers, 15, 20, 30 of them running around moving containers. All that technology was developed in Australia, uh, came out of the research lab um, that I led and uh, for, for, for a while there and, and then got commercialised through those companies and industries and, and then led the world uh, in that space. Same process with uh, mining. So Rio Tint, you go out to the Pilbara, you'll have 400 tonne haul trucks moving around, drill rigs that are autonomous, uh, water carts that are autonomous. And, and what you start to see is the assets themselves being automated. But now what's more important is optimizing whole supply chain because now you're starting to get a bit more predictability because these assets are moving around and they um, and it's predictable in terms of where they go next and so supply chain optimization becomes important um, but even even outside of ag even outside of uh, robotics even the algorithms that we've implemented so for example on drones we had a 10-year program with Qantas where we redid their flight planning system uh, to get better fuel-efficient routes. And so the Sydney to New York, Sydney to London flights that you would have heard about last year came out of the algorithms that we developed again in the lab, put into the Qantas platform. So there's a lot that's happened. I mean, Australia's just so far away from everything, uh, low density. Uh, nobody wants to work and everybody wants to live on the beaches. Nobody wants to work in the middle of the country. So the natural tendency towards automation to stay competitive is across all industries in, in this country. And agriculture starting to see that now. Why is it, do you think that Australia is um, pioneering and at the forefront of this? It's uh, it's competition, I think, which is, um, you know, the, in, the international market is quite competitive in, across all, all, all areas. And, um, um, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the drive of the Australian you know, in, term, in terms of being able to just kind of be great in what they want to do, and that feeds all the way through into... Uh, the business operations as well, um, and so if you're if you want to excel locally and globally in this country, you've, it's part of that process to think about how do you reduce costs but also improve productivity to to, to kind of uh, deal with that international competitiveness. And automation has just been in that in that thinking all along. And I think naturally, as it, literally in terms of the environment that we live in, uh, there's. We're still, you know, we still do a lot of, there's a lot of logistics going on. There's a lot of things we dig out of the ground. There's a lot of things we grow. Um, and that's in areas that nobody wants to work. And if you want to maintain that and do that, you've got to deal with automation in some way. And I think that's also been a natural tool set, I guess, that miners, farmers, logistic individuals, whatever it might be, have, have focused on as well. Salah, it's one thing to say that, you know, automation has advanced across lots of industries, but how much 
um, innovation has happened around sort of the intelligent systems and the robotics behind the achievement of that automation? What, what actually happens behind the scenes um, by way of programming and algorithms and you know, advancements in robotics? Would you just give an in insight as to, I guess, what you're seeing behind the scenes that makes all this possible? Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a good question because I think a lot of people initially. I remember getting up on stage eleven years ago. I think it was to a vegetable, yeah. You know, so it's a it was a it was a Australian vegetable industry conference and talking about the potential potential for robotics on farm. And you, I wouldn't say I was booed off stage, but you kind of laughed at it a bit because there was no way that robotics was going to work on a farm, and you know there's all these issues and whatever it might be. And if you if you see what's happened you get some pioneer leaders within the field who say no we should be able to do this and then you couple that with the reduction in cost and technology and the key elements that i think have turned what i would call a you know throwing a gps on a platform is one thing so you're just making a platform go up and down rows and whatever it might be is one thing but to then add intelligence into the platform requires some key fundamental things one is i mean you've not, you notice on your phone or your laptop the cost is getting cheaper or staying the same, but the power and the sensing technology is getting better. You can mimic that into robotics as well. So cost of computing is getting cheaper, cost of memory, computing memory is getting uh, cheaper, but also more expensive. Um, communications is getting better. And that allows computer scientists to sit there and go, well, you know what, that algorithm that we never thought would ever work 10 years ago can now work on a, on a, on a, on a platform. So. 10 years ago, I put a camera and I tried to detect an orange on a tree in my lab and that would take, you know, I'd take a picture and then five minutes later, the thing would say, oh, there's an orange there. Well, now I can put a camera on a platform and I can run down a row and it can detect 100 oranges on a tree in real time as, you, as you're going through. And so, and that could be the same algorithm. It's just now that the computing processing is getting a lot more powerful, memory is getting more expensive. And so um, we, we're getting that capability kind of feed in. And so that's um, that's the thing about robotics. It's a it's what they call a, 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 a combinatorial systems engineering problem because you have many things that have to come together to make a robot work. And any advancement in any one of those things can, can significantly improve the intelligence of the platform. So whether you improve comms or whether you improve memory or computing, you, you get this more intelligent robot the day after. I've studied a little bit of Buckminster Fuller Salah and he talks about ephemeralisation. Um, and the way that I understand that is that with progress, structural change happens, is happening exponentially quicker and they kind of build on each other so that our rate of change and our rate of advancement is exponentially or, or getting exponentially quicker. Um, what you were just describing then kind of speaks to that, that advancements in so many components of where your focus is is allowing for innovation to unfold in front of us um, at a greater and greater rate is that is that a fair comment yeah yeah i think i think technology so you know a, a robot in whatever form you want to think of is a combination of many pieces of technology each one of those pieces of technology goes through its own exponential growth it gets more powerful quicker cheaper, better, whatever it might be. And then uh, the addition of that component with another component is not one plus one equals two. You get this kind of significant nonlinear effect that happens when you kind of add these components together. And, and if one component gets better, so for example, if computation gets so much better on a computer, it challenges then communications and people then drive communications even further. And then that challenges memory capacity on the robot and that drives it. So you then get this, get this individual exponential growth and you get the combination of all that coming together in a very non-linear fashion which is why you know uh, two years ago you would have said that would never work and now you're thinking well, okay you can do so much more now with with that same technology so it's definitely a an exponential and combinatorial effect that you're seeing when it comes to robotics which absolutely means what we'll see over the next 20 years will just be so much more rapid in advancement than what we've seen over the last 20. Yeah, and the, but the challenge is always how do you make it commercial and how do you make it work for the operations? So it's, it's great that you can build 
a robotic platform that looks like a dog, walks like a dog, runs and acts like a dog, and you kind of see this in some of the defence robotics work. But then if you had to say, well, that would be great on my farm, for example, to do X, Y, Z, you know, keep the feral animals away or whatever it might be, then you're talking about, you know, a $3 million platform and it just doesn't make sense in that context. So it, it's really now this, this process of sitting back and going, take the technology out of the picture because it's there and it exists. If I looked at a farm now, where do I want that farm to be in five years' time? And then hence what technology do I need to start introducing into that, into that process um, to make that work? So it's, it's, it's kind of getting the, taking the fascination away from the eye candy of robots and kind of thinking about what does it mean to, to automate a farm and what technology needs to come together for that and so, so that you make the economics work. Which links back to, I guess, Gaithan, you having that pioneering vision about wanting to be the first and best automated stone fruit farm in the world and then looking at making automation happen commercially so that you could justify improvement across your business. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what's driven us and I realise that it's a it's a slow burn to to get all these things happening. Um, there's, there's so much that needs to happen at Salah's level and someone else, everyone else's, but what I'm hoping is if we just build the platform and keep improving our orchard architecture, then when the tech's available, we're the company that people look to. Gaithan, what comes up for you or have you got a question for Salah based on what we've talked about so far? Um, no, not really, but I think a really good point for me, like, as I, I mean, I love watching YouTube videos and everything of the tech that's coming out and I must send videos and emails to Salah way too often. But when you when you see him, you think all this stuff is real and it's happening all over the world and there's other people with autonomous harvesters and herbicide units, and but a lot of that actually isn't operate. It's not commercial. So, and to make it commercial, there's so much that needs to happen both at Salah's end and both at, and at the farming end. Um, so I'm not sure if I've really answered that question, but what I think what, I, what I've learned over the, the journey is there's just so many moving parts and, and what you see in the social media isn't necessarily what's actually happening. And uh, I realise Salah and his team are actually at the forefront. So no real questions. I think I think just to, just on that I think the you know the farming processes and systems at one end and and the technology and its ability to do things at, at another end and the gap in between is not the technology or the farming system it's the it's the mechanisms that you put in place to bring that technology onto farm and there's an economic understanding there's an educational element that has to happen there's training elements that have to happen and you have to do it in a way that gives a return on investment to the farmer incrementally as they're going through because automation is not, it's not a simple thing. You, you really got to sit back and go, it's I, the process or the thinking might be simple, but you really, you're, you're rethinking the way your farm is going to operate. And, and that requires the technologists, the systems thinkers, the farmers, the agronomists to all come around the table and start to think about, well, what is the first thing that we want to put on farm that leads us down that journey? And tying with that, okay, what is the ROI on that? Do I need to train people up? What's the service and maintenance look like? Um, will that happen on my farm? What if I don't have comms? Uh, is it, you know, what, what happens when it's uh, foggy one day, bucketing rain the next day, et cetera? And all those things have to get addressed. And maybe the technology's not ready for it, but maybe operationally you can make it still work because it could be that, well, the robot can't go out after we've irrigated, but so we'll send the robot out two hours before it's irrigated, as opposed to let's build the robot again in a different way so that it can work when I want to irrigate. Mm. So there's a bit of thinking that has to happen around that, but it's it's not a technology and it's not a farm process, but it's in between that. Yeah, and further, I think it really is a partnership. Like, I'm not saying that I'm a partner with um, Sola or his company, but it actually takes both sides. I think... So as I've met a lot of Salah's team over the past few years, we all see things from a different vantage point and they think they're solving a problem over here, but it's actually not really a problem for us. The problem's here. And so I think it needs to be a really collaborative approach. Otherwise, the wrong things are tackled and there's already, there might be easier gets. Um, so that's probably one of the things I've learned and 
I probably hassled Solana a little bit too much over the years for it, but I just want to make sure that we're we're really streamlined and we're not we're not moving sideways instead of moving forwards. What are your team working on in the agri sector and what are you excited about over the next three and five and even ten years about what perhaps both intensive and broadacre farming can look forward to? You know, I'll be a, a so I think that okay, we'll, we'll answer that in probably three different bits. So at the moment now, the biggest challenge for us and the most excitement for us now is how do we get the current robotic technology on the farm? And, and that really is around what are the commercial mechanisms that you put around the technology to facilitate that introduction onto farm um, and to get the farmers to bring in that technology, knowing full well that it's a, a long journey through there. Um, the, the thing that I think over the next few years that will become really interesting to see is, is going to be some novel, I think some novel actuation devices is, is probably the, the thing that I think is is of most interest, whether, regardless of what type of industry we're talking about. And what I mean by that is the robots, whether they're automated tractors or whether they're some other small system platform, they're there. Um, sensing, we've known about for a long time. The machine learning or artificial intelligence that sits on the sensing allows to detect individual plants or crop growth rates or whatever might be, they're there. But what's going to be really interesting is 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 little tools that we end up building that are very smart and are very capable, mimic human flexibility, dexterity, etc. That allows to do things such as pruning, thinning, harvesting, um, selective harvesting, even um, um, uh, um, pest removal. Um, along with the pest detection, but in a very, very localized specialized. And I think over the next few years, we're going to start seeing more of these tools sit on platforms that are going to be really interesting. Beyond that, um, the, the thing that I think is going to change and morph is um, I'm going to have to go a little... When, you, when, you, when I look at a fruit or a plant or even an animal, uh, they're biological in nature, but inherently in there there's code there's dna code in some form and there's information content and and that information content goes from that seed or that plant or that animal all the way through to the operations that you have so even when you start to look at farming operations you're talking about information flow going to the robot which has got sensors that's pulling in that information as well so i think in about as, as we go along we start to automate and you're going to start to see r d focus less on robotics and more on well, what does it mean to kind of capture that information flow from seed to harvest and all the way through to sensing and, and the types of tools that you use. And that's going to help optimise, again, product um, the production process and productivity, but that's a longer-term 10-year horizon. So getting robots on the farm now commercially, looking at some select really interesting tools that will happen over the next few years, and then beyond that, what does it mean to kind of capture the whole information flow on farm? What is the process to commercialise and how, how do we arrive to a point practically with an individual farm business that they can determine that this actually does pay? It does drive appropriate efficiencies and cost savings so that it does make sense to implement. I think, well, it's probably both for me and Jason. I think from my perspective, um, the cost of the technology will be and is probably now a no-brainer for, for, for many farmers. So if, if, the, if the technology would just come out of the box and work, our farmers would, I think, in many cases, whether it's for things like weeding or spraying, uh, um, even moving commodities around, thinning, pruning, harvesting, um, I think farmers will see the ROI very, very quickly. The, the, the cost, however, is not in the technology but in the bringing the technology to farm and making it work on farm because you still need a support crew around that, whether that's engineering talent, technical talent, maintenance and service. And that's where the cost is at the moment now. So until the bots can be fully automated out of a box, et cetera, you're going to see the commercialization process really focus on the, the economic vehicle that takes that technology and puts it onto farm. In reverse, though, it's I think what Gaithan was touching on before is what we're seeing now is a lot of people who 
know how to write an algorithm or know how to use a sensor. And they think, I'm going to apply this to agriculture and apply it on a completely different problem that farmers are really interested in. So, so getting that feedback and getting that information back from the growers, understanding the economics of farming, how do you work out on the ROI, will then drive where that, where that commercial process will happen. Nathan, how do you make that decision um, as to what pays to by way of automation compared to continuing to have that activity being labour dependent? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really long potential answer. I won't take a long time to answer it because there's so many ways to view the value, um, and this is something to me. I mean, I, I suspect what we think we know about how to farm. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So machine learning, if a bot's driving up and down every single day capturing data and it can identify the same flower the same that turns into the same fruit every second or third day, there's going to be more information than we've ever had. And with machine learning algorithms now, I suspect we'll work out how to get better tonnage, better fruit, higher packouts just from the information. But the information's one part, and to me that's actually critical as well. But then we need a way to actually execute on the tasks and so that's the other part so the robotics is amazing for that um so how do i do the economics of it i think that i need any way to get stuck collecting that information like the best scientists in the world would only look at the same fruit every day at best if a bot's driving up and down and it's checking the same fruit over a 12-month period or a two-year period continually that we'll learn a whole heap of things and like i said and if the bot could, if we could have autonomous bots going up and down, capturing data on the same plant and knowing where, where that plant and where that lateral, where that limb is, whatever it is, we, we see a pest at the moment. We treat the whole hectare. It might be that we can actually just put a beneficial in on that one tree or a couple of trees around it, and we might save a huge spray cost. Um, plus, when we spray, like, I don't know about other crops, but in tree crops, if we spray to kill pest one, we generally um, that we end up getting pest too. Um, so how do I justify the cost or how do I view it? I think I want it to be able to do a function that saves me time or money or simplifies the business. But if we, if we can get bots up and down, I mean, someone has to implement them. And I, I want our business to be the first at it, because, but I actually think there's some real economic gains as well. I could, so if I just think of herbicide, so we go out and we have to spray, and Salah hates talking about herbicide, but we're talking more about the uh, manipulation of crop. But if I could have a bot that's just driving up and down all day, every day, passing the same blocks, looking and spraying the weeds, but actually capturing information, even if it only covers half my cost of, like if it maybe cost me 2000 or $4,000 a hectare to herbicide ordinarily with an operator and a tractor and wear and tear. And if a bot can do it, it's all that, I don't know, all that additional information, if we can capture that, I think it could potentially change the game. So when I think about it, I think about how do we get to that 10 years where we actually are better at, we're increasing our yields because of the information that we have. That's a really long answer, sorry. But that's, that's how that's, I go. It's a fascinating answer because, you know, there's so many benefits, aren't there, that, you know, you can significantly reduce herbicide and chemical application maintenance cost depreciation labor savings as well as you know the opportunity for improved efficiency improved quality you know there's so many benefits and i think you just spoke to that really accurately so thank you for that gaithan if, if you jump forward 10 years all things being equal and, and i guess all the advancement that we've touched on playing out do you can you possibly describe what what kutri fruit could look like as a business yeah, so I, I think we'll definitely still have, let's, let's go 10 years out. Um, so there'll clearly be a huge number of employees um, still because I don't think bots are going to take over the world, um, definitely not in the next 10 years. But, man, it would be amazing if we could take away the, the high-skilled jobs, like things that are really specialised in tasks or that require to be done at a precise time, like, so I, I would hope that in 10 years from now, we are doing exactly like the herbiciding. We're passing the farm 
between herbiciding, foliar sprays, putting beneficials out, but things that make a bot pass the farm, pass that particular tree every day would be amazing. And Solar and I have probably put together about 50 things which are easy gets, even to scaring birds. If you could do all those activities, I mean, it might just save, um, it might save 25% of our labour, but it also might increase our yield by 25% by reducing losses and that. So probably in 10 years, that's where I see us getting. Um, but I, I think that robotic harvesting, um, Solar has sent a team out a couple of times and we've had a couple of goes at it. Um, it's a long way away, but it really depends on the actuators and a few other bits and pieces. But I think that's probably real within 10 years because there's enough people focusing on it for our industry. I think um, autonomous spraying is real, will be real. I think autonomous fertilising. So, so what we currently do is we fertigate an entire block, so a valve. So it might be one hectare, two hectares, four hectares, but there might only be two trees in that hectare that require treatment. The same with insecticides. That in itself could, it just makes a healthier tree, a healthier fruit, and it just gives our industry a better name. And yeah, I, I think they're the, they're the, they're not easy gets, but they're the gets that I think that will happen within the next 10 years and that will actually transform the industry. Because I think, well, I think we'll transform ag. If we can, not we, if Salah and others around the world can capture, can really capture heaps of data on that one leaf and one fruit or the one tree every bit of data like across imagine if you had that across the entire farm and then you ran some uh, machine learning algorithms over it there'd be stuff that we don't even know um the the relationships of now and we'd find those relationships and i i think that's real for 10 years i'm not sure if it is so but that's what i am hoping is real and and a couple of those easy gets like um herbicide and hopefully picking Salah, what's your take on what, what ag could look like 10 years ago or 10 years from now relative to today? I think um, I think there'll be more uniformity, as, as I mentioned before. You know, There'll be this drive towards automation. And it doesn't need to be robots. It could be just sensors out there and, and algorithms and, and, and whatever it might be. But I think there'll be a bit more uniformity on farm. And I think there'll be a greater awareness about... Um, uh, as, as Gaithan mentioned before, you know, the moment now, do you, do you, you know, whether you drive trees to be taller because you get more yield versus, well, actually, automation requires shorter trees. Um, you don't get as much yield, but you've dropped down the cost, the pro, you know, et cetera, et cetera, so much that you're getting more profit out of the process. And thinking along those lines will happen as well. But look, cheap, the sensors will be cheaper, platforms will be cheaper, potentially um, less ownership maybe of robotics as well and sensors on farm you know more of a service model things happening like that where where farms are really just focusing on supply chain optimization not worrying about do i need to go back to this asset and dealing with it and, and you know as they currently do so there might be some th rethinking about what it means to have assets on farm um, which may make it cheaper and easier for multiple farmers to be able to use automation in different ways so i think there's economic changes that or sorry commercial changes that might happen in terms of the access of robotics on farm um, but yeah, I agree with Gaithan. Sen sensors will be everywhere. Data will be collected. Platforms will be moving. The, the it's 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 you know harvesting is in many in many industries the the big end game. Uh, but different industries will have different paths to that because it you know the return on investment on weeding may not be the best thing for Gaithan, for example, say compared to a vegetable farm. But if it introduces robotics and automation in the thinking process around autonomy, then that's the right first step to take it as you're going as you're going down that pathway. Salah, for those of our listeners that are really interested to, to deepen their knowledge and awareness around robotics, automation and advancements in ag tech, are there publications or um, journals that you would direct them to so that they can start really building out their level of understanding on this topic? Yeah, they can speak to Gaithan. He can leave his number out. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, there's a, there's a lot going on. on the, I wouldn't say publications. Oh, well, it depends. If, 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 if it's scientific or even engineering publications, uh, there's a couple of organisations. One's called uh, IEEE, um, which is an international organisation and has magazine articles and things like that talk about robotics in general. Um, but then you can do a bit more of a search and get robotics in agriculture. 
there's an, if you really want to go a bit more systems thinking and understand what's going on in the in bits everything from harvesting through to spraying to whatever there's a there's a journal called the journal for field robotics um and and that's what we're talking about here is outdoor systems um but you know there's there's a there's a, there's a number of um web pages web articles online articles or whatever it might be that focus specifically on future farming and 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 what the changes are there and i think there's there's a lot going on in that space, but maybe Gaston, you, I mean, obviously you, you and, and there's a community around you too. There's probably certain areas that you look at um, that kind of give you the latest um, new, new technology that's coming through and how it works. Yeah, so for me, it's, uh, it is reading a few of the articles that um, Salah's referred to, a few of those journals, but it's also just YouTubing and just continually Google searching for the, and then exploring further and further and just keep digging deeper until you find who are the people behind it then asking some questions. So guys, I like that construct that sometimes the hardest part to learning and progressing is unlearning and, and letting go of what we know. Um, I get a sense that there is a requirement for a fairly significant mindset shift perhaps in some of our conventional farmers um, and a letting go of how they've always done farming and a, a change in mindset towards how it could be done differently. Um, Gaithan, what do you think is the, the shift in mindset that might need to happen in our farm business leaders so that they can challenge the status quo and, you know, consider a different way of running and advancing their farms? Yes, I'm not sure what the mindset changes across other industries or even ours, but when I I think through the journey, what I've learned is it probably what you think is that the next get doesn't have to be. So if we step back in, in our industry and everyone's focused on harvest, 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 there's companies all around the world, it might be irrelevant. We don't actually need robots to harvest if we could thin better because we could get a really uniform fruit size. And then if we're thinning better and thinning looking for more consistent fruits, why not just step back another step and go, well, let's just actually select the flowers that are the most uniform in size and then and actually do the thinning back at the flower stage. And then if we do that really well, I think we'll just harvest. We currently harvest the same tree every third day for, um, for five picks to try and make sure we get everything at the right maturity by doing it, uh, by, by stepping back further in the process what I think will happen in our industry is that picking becomes irrelevant. We can just send people in and pick the whole lot in one big go because it's uh, we've pre-selected the fruits that are going to be ripe at the same time, allowing them to get better size, better quality, better yield because of that. So maybe the way I think about it is we can with robotics and better information maybe we can actually instead of thinking what we think is currently the end game maybe we can actually go back further to get a bigger change be careful focusing on the problem that isn't um yeah it's such a good point Gaithan. um salah what's your comment to that it's uh it's something that we've seen in other industries even outside of ag and, and it's a it's a good point you when you when you look at the when you look at your um production process um what you're really doing is you're turning information into decision making along that whole production process right and and that could be when when someone's going out there spraying or when someone's going out there harvesting or whatever it might be but what you don't realize is how much information can accumulate in that process and turning into decision making and what we've seen in other industries is when you throw automation in there there are certain things along that process that aren't required anymore because a bots come in or a sensors come in or an algorithms come in and and nullified the need for that activity that activity that's probably there because it's always been there because humans have always been involved in whatever form doing that and i think what gaithan's reaching out to in that specific case um uh which is that you know um so we are focusing on harvesting because it's you know it's it's the greatest cost for farm so it's probably the first thing that they're thinking about is how do i reduce the cost on that and the reason why is I'm doing everything that I can possibly do up until I bring in 100 people to start harvesting for me. And I guess what Gaithan's reaching out to is, well, what if you could actually come further up that supply chain and use robotics or AI or sensing and change a certain behaviour that's up there that that doesn't require me to 
bring in that many people or makes it so much easier to harvest and hence my expenses around harvesting drop anyway. And and it's a it's a good point, it's a valid point. We've seen it in other industries and it's it's one of those things that as a roboticist, technology driver, whatever it might be, you don't see. It has to come from the growers end. And they have to be able to sit back and go, as, as you pointed out, Jeremy, how do I unlearn what's happening to kind of see where this really should fit in? Because otherwise you're just going with your your biggest fear or whatever it might be, and that being, in this case here, expenses at the end. Thank you. To, to both of you, I want to yeah, sincerely thank you for your time um, and your pioneering, and you both in your relative spaces are true world leaders, and it's a real honour for me to have you both on this podcast and to scratch the surface on ag tech, robotics and automation. Gaithan, to you, just sincere congratulations for what you've achieved in business and in this space, um, in your business over the last sort of 11 or 15 years. And I think you are at the forefront of, of our national advancement in this space over the next 10. So look forward to sort of watching your journey. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks. I don't know if all that's true, but cheers. <laughs> and Salah, um, I did introduce you quite formally at the start and um, for a bit of humour, my kids and I love the fact, we love Johnny Williamson, the Australian singer, and we love the fact that he's written 500 songs. I can't quite believe that he's written 500 songs, but the fact that you've written 500 papers just blows my mind. I just want to congratulate you on... Um, your leadership and, um, you know, the, the impact you're having nationally and globally at the forefront of all things ag tech, robot, robotics and advancement. So thank you for your time, sincerely. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honour to be here. So, guys, um, that's about it from us. I've run out of smart questions because I'm not the smartest bloke in the room, but um, I hope for our listeners that that does yeah, give you an insight as to where all things ag tech has come from and um, what we've got to look forward to. It does challenge us to really stop and look at how we have been doing things and consider a totally different way of moving forward. Um, I think we've all got a small part to play in the advancement um, of these things in our industry. And I think Gaithan and his um, family in that business is such a great example of its successful application in agriculture. So, um, yeah, thank you, Gaithan and Salah again. And to all of you, have a great few weeks. Um, enjoy this season as it unfolds in front of us. Take care, thank you, and bye for now. Thanks, Sean. Yes.